If this is your first time with us, my name is Jeff Baker. I am the lead pastor here. And no, what I just did a few minutes ago was not the shortest sermon ever. That was potentially the best announcements ever. That's all I was, that's all I'm saying right there. That's it. That's all I'm saying. The best announcements ever. All right. Um, just, just joking. Um, I was, I was the only guy left to do them. So that's, that's kind of, that's kind of how, that's kind of how it worked out today. Well, hey, okay, so I, I told you just a second ago that we're kicking off a brand new teaching series and we titled it Revolution. Historically, there's been a lot of revolutions. So I'm not going to, you're not taking a quiz today. So no, you don't have to kick yourself and go, man, I wish I would have listened during history class. All right. But you could, you can think of a few revolutions that have happened. Revolutions that take place generally are revolutions for freedom. There is a, there's some kind of oppression that's over people and people are striving to be free from that oppression. Um, revolutions typically happen with one or two people in some kind of a quiet place where others won't necessarily hear their voice complaining about and strategizing on how they can find freedom. And then that voice starts to go public and it finds a, uh, it finds this resounding agreement in the hearts of others where they say, that's what I've been thinking. I just didn't know it was possible. And now I'm hearing other people think that it is possible. And so you end up with, on a current day revolution, you end up with people maybe rioting in the streets um, or overtaking governments. And this has happened even within the last couple of years on our planet. But all the way back to our history where one group of people rises up and they drive another group of people right out of their country or right off of their island so that they can have freedom. Now, it starts, though, in the heart of one or two people. That's where uh, historic revolutions have happened. And today, I want to take you on a spiritual revolution, which has to start inside of your own heart. And this series that we're going to be going into is going to focus on some of the hard, difficult to understand, convicting, sometimes mentally straining passages that Jesus preached that perplexed people. And many times when you read them, you read this, this verse or you read this, you know, story that Jesus told or this parable that Jesus told. And you're like, I don't understand this. So what do you do? You flip the page and you go to the next one and off you go. And you just assume there must be some teachings in God's word that I'm just not going to understand. I know that God's word can feel a little bit like a mystery. It can be a little bit, going back to our, our relics teaching, a little bit like a, a spiritual treasure map sometimes where you're like, man, if I could just figure this thing out, I would find life. I would find, you know, my life would be transformed. I got that. So it's kind of like a, like an algebraic, uh, uh, mathematic kind of equation, all right? So any math people out here right now? Anybody that knows algebra? That's what I thought. We all studied it, but we all wondered why, didn't you? You studied and you were like, do I really need to know this? All right, well, here, here's, the, here's the algebraic uh, equation. Let me give you the basics of algebra, okay? In a spiritual formation. First, you have the hard teachings of Jesus. You have the hard teachings of Jesus, Plus the revealed truth. Now that's what you find in the brackets. So let me take you back to algebra. The first thing you would do with this equation is that you would take care of what's inside of the brackets. I hope I don't blow your mind up right now. You would first take care of what's inside of the brackets. So before I go on with the mathematic equation, let me just ask you a question. How many times have you found a teaching in God's word hard or easy to understand? 
And so it, you, you read it and you, you brought it, you had some kind of revealed truth, meaning you, you understood what it meant. The Holy Spirit helped you understand what it meant. You were in a service and someone was teaching or preaching and they helped you understand what it meant. How many for you, how many has that ever happened for you on any scripture at all? Okay, for, for most of you, all of your hands should go up and go, yes, there is a scripture somewhere in the Bible. I might not be able to find it, but yes, it's been taught to me. Yes, there was a revealed truth. That's the first thing that you have, right? But if you don't do anything with that, guess what? You, you're, you're done. It's the end of the equation. You don't get to equal anything. So you have to take hard teachings during this teaching series, confusing teachings, um, you know, perplexing teachings, and we have to bring revealed truth to them. But then there's something that you have to do. You have to go and apply it. If you'll start applying this new revealed truth, then it will equal in your life a spiritual revolution. Think of it this way. Right now is farming season. Seeds going in the ground. Uh, farmers are planting the seed into the ground. If the farmer plants seed into the ground and uses the same amount of acreage that he had last year with the same seed, with the same fertilizer, with the same tractor, with the same process, theoretically, given the same weather, he should get the same crop. Make sense? But if the farmer plants the same seed with the same fertilizer into the ground with the same weather, but yet he gets an extra acreage to be able to plant on, will he then get the same crop? He'll get more. You take God's word and pieces of God's word, which all should bring life to you, and some of it's not bringing life to you because you don't understand it, and you begin to understand it, should it not therefore produce more spiritual life in you? Yeah. That's the mathematic equation. We're going to take hard truth that right now maybe you haven't grasped or understood completely, help you understand it, then challenge you to apply it. If you apply it, it should spiritually bring spiritual revolution in you. That's pretty exciting. That should tell you right now, you're not wasting your time. That should tell you right now, though, there's something about that little letter A that's going to require a lot of work if you want to see the spiritual revolution, the SR, happen in your life. Okay, so that's why God's word is so powerful. So during this teaching series as well, what we've done for you is we've done one more mathematic thing. This is super easy to understand. It's called a 40 day, you know, Bible reading kind of a challenge. It's going to take you through the gospels in 40 days. 40 day spiritual gospel reading challenge is put before you today. It's going to be given to you week by week. It's only Monday through Friday. We gave you Saturday and Sunday off. Come on. High five someone next to you. Those are generous pastors. Man, man, nice guys. Nice guys. Yes. No, we did that on purpose because so many Bible reading uh, programs, when you get a day or two behind, you feel overwhelmed and you're like, I don't know how I'm going to catch back up. I didn't want you to feel that way for the 40 days. Now, I'm going to tell you this, though. Some days have got a truckload of reading. I went through and tested a couple of these days. I'm telling you, there's a lot. But here's what we've done. Um, what, what Pastor Roger did for us is he took these, he took the Gospels and he harmonized them. One of the requests that I put out to him was, I want to make sure that our people are reading what Jesus is teaching. You know, whether he whether he's teaching something and it's found in Matthew um, and it's found in Luke and it's found in John. I want them to read 
that teaching all on the same day. So Pastor Roger's gone through the Gospels and he's taken the teachings of Jesus and he's lumped them into one day so that when you read about um, something, you know, where Jesus turns water into wine, his very first miracle, um, you, if, if that would be found in multiple different uh, Gospels, you would read about it then in the, in the different stories, in the different Gospels, all on the same day. So that way, it starts to make sense. The teachings of Jesus all start coming together. Um, the understanding of Jesus starts happening. So that way you can apply it better so you, you can have spiritual revolution in your life. That's what we want. Okay? So that's where we're going. Everyone got that on the, on the um, red letter revolution? You understand kind of the heart behind it and where we're rolling? All right. We're going to be doing this for the next two months. So there's a lot of teachings of Jesus. And we're going to tackle some of the more difficult ones as we roll through this thing. So let's jump into week one. Week one's gonna be, gonna be a teaching where you're gonna, we're gonna focus on a word called regeneration for a moment. I wanna talk to you about regeneration. Regeneration literally means to create again. To take, to take something and it, it gets either cut off, it gets removed, but yet it has the ability to recreate itself and be created again, to regenerate. Now you find this in God's creation. It's a pretty awesome concept. But in salamanders, as an example, did you know a salamander can get his tail cut off and regrow it? It regenerates a tail. It, or you can cut off, you can literally cut off the foot or the leg of a salamander and it can regenerate the whole leg and the whole foot. Now, if you have a salamander, don't go try it. But I'm just telling you, that's, that's science. That's what, that's what God has done. That's, that's pretty powerful all by itself, right there. Did you know an earthworm? Yeah, the ones you played with when you were kids. Did you get cut the head off of an earthworm and it will regrow another one? It, you cut a tail. You can cut organs out. It will literally regenerate all of those things. As slimy and as nasty as you might think they are, they're pretty stinking cool when it comes to the term regeneration. Now, when you use them to fish, there's no regeneration after that. Just letting you know, okay? So they can regenerate. That's pretty awesome. Did you, did you know that you actually are regenerating even right now? Yeah. Even right now, you're regenerating because every, every really week that goes by, you lose one-fifth of an ounce of your skin. And then you grow it back. Pretty cool, huh? Until you think about your mattress. And studies have been done that say that over 10 years, your mattress doubles in weight. Guess where that comes from? Some of your skin. And it also comes from all the little dust mites that love you, you know? And they help you. And those 100,000 to 10 million dust mites over that 10-year period of time, if you are a furniture salesman or a mattress salesman in here, get ready because new life is coming to your store. (laughs) If your mattress is 10 years older or older... You may not want to move it because it has become really heavy, especially if it's one of those big, thick, king mattresses. That bad boy can get heavy. That's because you're regenerating. And it's, it's awesome. It's, a, it's, it's what God put in to his creation. Certain things regenerate and they keep going and they keep going. And God designed you to need to be regenerated or to be created anew, to be created again. Jesus talked about it as in a spiritual sense of being born again. Jesus said, you gotta be born again, or you have to be regenerated again, or you have to become new again. Jesus was talking about this 
to a religious leader, a powerful man. His name was Nicodemus in John chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Let me just take you there so that you can see what it was that Jesus was talking about. He said, there was a man named Nicodemus. He was a Jewish uh, religious leader. Remember that, okay? Um, who was basically, also, he was also a Pharisee. And after dark, hang on to that, after dark one evening, Nicodemus, he came to speak with Jesus. And he refers to him as rabbi. Now that would have been a statement of honor to Jesus. That was not a, it was not a, a challenging statement. That was a, basically a recognition. That's who you are. Like giving you respect with your title. Dr. So-and-so. Professor so-and-so. Um, so, rabbi, he said. We all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your, your miraculous signs are the evidence that God is with you. Then Jesus replied. He kind of interrupted him. He said, Nicodemus, I tell you the truth. Unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you mean? exclaimed Nicodemus. How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? And Jesus replied by saying this. I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life. But the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised, Nicodemus, when I say to you, you must be born again. Jesus challenges this man with this huge concept of being born again. Now, before Jesus makes this statement, before Nicodemus and him meet together, some really crazy things happen. Jesus comes back into Jerusalem, and as he comes into Jerusalem, he goes to the temple, which would have been his typical habit. Um, whichever community he went to, he would have made his way to the temple. Um, and as he goes to go to the temple, he, he's, he's really taken back, and he's totally surprised, and he's just basically torqued off. And he goes, I can't believe this. What are you guys doing? You've turned this temple, this house of prayer, you've turned this thing into a, a marketplace. And there's money changers there. And there's people that are selling things and all this kind of stuff. He goes, my, my father's house has nothing to do with this. And he flips over the tables. And he, he runs the people out of the temple. Now, I guarantee you, a guy like Nicodemus, he would have heard about this. He would have heard about it quick. Because Nicodemus was, was one of the powerful religious leaders. But Nicodemus was also a man who would have sat on what we call in America the Supreme Court. Nicodemus was one of those type of men. He was one of a few of his own sect of religious leaders that had climbed to the top, the highest court of the Jewish land at its day. Nicodemus would have sat on it. I guarantee you this complaint would have come to him. Now, underneath the Roman rule of the day that Nicodemus was alive, this court obviously could only implement so much power. But in the Jewish community, it was the ultimate authority with ultimate power. Nicodemus was one of these men. So after hearing this story of what Jesus has done, it's very interesting to find that Nicodemus wants to go meet with Jesus. Nicodemus would have also been hearing about this teaching of this man called the rabbi. Nicodemus referred to in his passage that we just read, said to him, he said, Jesus, I know, I know that you're sent from God. I've heard of basically these miraculous things that you've been doing. I've heard of this teaching of the kingdom of God that you've been doing. So he recognizes that Jesus is a powerful man. He even recognizes that Jesus, you aren't from us. You, you know things that we don't know. You know more than I know. And the, 
And Nicodemus would have come from a group of these Pharisees and Sadducees that met together in this high court that would have been really uh, torqued at Christ. They would have been really upset with him because more attention was being given to this rabbi than was given to this man called Nicodemus who had authority and power, knowledge beyond most people of his day. Nicodemus would have been one in the group of people that would have been really upset. In fact, they are the people later on that end up putting Jesus on the cross. But yet there's this intrigue, this curiosity from this man, and he can't escape it. And so he says to himself, I've got to go see this Jesus. I've got to go meet with him. But remember what the passage said? When did Nicodemus go to meet with Jesus? Nighttime. Isn't it interesting that Nicodemus chose the dark of night? Not the dark of night in Kearney, where the streetlights are still on, so bright that you have a hard time seeing the stars. We're talking the dark of night in Jerusalem, where a few lamps are lit, where the stars are brilliant, as any place you've ever seen them, especially if you live out in the country, where it's dark. Nicodemus has the ability to hug the the edges of buildings and make his way through some of the darkest alley, you know, corridors where the fewest people would have been out so Nicodemus could find his way to Jesus. Why was that? Could it be that Nicodemus was intimidated or, you know, fearful of what his other peers would have thought? Nicodemus had assistants that worked for him. Why didn't he just take the safe approach and say to his assistant, go there to that Jesus guy and find out what he's all about. I heard he's been teaching A, B, and C. Find out why he flipped over the tables. Find out why he does these things. Find out about where these miraculous signs and wonders are coming from. He could have easily have done that. But Nicodemus had to go with his own two eyes and his own two ears. He had to hear the voice of Jesus. He wanted to see Jesus with his own self. And so he sits down with Jesus in the dark of night, which also would have been the preferred time for the rabbi to do his teaching. In those times and in those days, when the sun rose, life started. When the rooster crowed, life started. If you've ever been in a country, like on a missions trip, and you've been sleeping someplace like in one of those hotels where you have to have your windows open or you're out in the bush or someplace, when the rooster crows, the village comes alive. When the sun starts to rise, people are up. Kids are up running around. You're like, it's five in the morning. Would you go back to bed? But that's the day it started there. Life was lived with the sun. And so the rabbis of his day would have thought that as the, or the, and they would have taught that as the sun goes down, life slows down. And as the sun and life slows down, rabbi, you get along with the scriptures. It's a great time to study. Nicodemus also came at that moment. He was interested in the spiritual heart of who Jesus was. One thing, as a side note, that you should, you should gain from this right off the bat is, it doesn't matter how educated you are. It doesn't matter what spiritual background you come from. It doesn't matter what you, what you think that you know or what you've been trained to know. You have to come to Jesus with an open heart and with an open mind. If you want to receive what Jesus is teaching to you, if you come with all of your prejudice already established, then I guarantee you, you're going to walk away with less than you tried to achieve if you're coming to Jesus today. So even today, you've got to prepare your heart. We know one thing that took place during this meeting with, with Jesus, and that is that a spiritual revolution took place in the heart of Nicodemus. How do we know that? Because two critical passages talk about Nicodemus after this moment that takes place with him. In John chapter 7, verses 50 and 51, you might want to write this down. Nicodemus is actually, John chapter 7, 50 and 51. You can go read it for yourself. Um, Nicodemus is in the high court, and these religious leaders are going, you know what, let's, let's put this guy down. 
You know, let's, let's just inflict some serious harm on him. Nicodemus rises up and he defends Jesus in that high court, basically going, hey, this guy deserves a fair trial, doesn't he? He stands up for Jesus instead of going with all of his peers. That's one thing that we know. Another thing that's even more predominant, it really shows the heart transformation of Nicodemus, was in John chapter 19, verse 39. In John chapter 19, you find that Nicodemus, which this is, this is very interesting to me. Nicodemus goes with Joseph of Arimathea to Pilate. Pilate gives the body to Joseph, uh, the body of Jesus to, to, um, to Joseph, Joseph of Arimathea. Then it says that Nicodemus goes with Joseph. It, it implies that Nicodemus literally was a part of helping to move the body of Jesus. But it also says that Nicodemus brings ointments. He buys this expensive ointment and he brings it with him to help wrap the body of Jesus. And that Nicodemus would have been there that day when the body of Jesus was wrapped, ready for a Jewish uh, customary uh, burial and help put Jesus into the tomb. Nicodemus had a spiritual revolution that took place in his heart that transformed him. So what was it that Jesus said that transforms this religious leader who thinks he knows it all to follow the teaching of some little Rabbi, two critical things that Jesus says to him, that Jesus is saying to you today, and if it transformed Nicodemus, it can still transform your life. Jesus said in verse 3, I tell you the truth, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. To be born again literally means to be born from above or to be born anew. It's not something that's in a physical sense. It's probably one of the best examples and one of the, the best things that Jesus could have said to Nicodemus at that moment was, Nicodemus, you need to be born from above. You need to be born from my Father in heaven. You need to be born anew. It was one of the best statements that he could have said to Nicodemus. You know why? Because you can't do it on your own. That's why Nicodemus couldn't wrap his head around it. And he says back to Jesus, Well, Jesus, how can a man... How can an old man enter back into his mother's womb and be born again? This is ludicrous. And just, now before you judge Nicodemus and go, man, you are slow. Man, I can't, I can't understand you. Why can't you figure this stuff out? Why would you even think that? Before you even go there, you need to think to yourself. If you were standing there with Jesus, and for the very first time, you've never heard this ever before again, Jesus says you've got to be born again, you would have thought the exact same thing. Don't even think better of yourself. You would have been standing there going, uh, that, Jesus, that's really messed up. Uh, that's disgusting. I can't, what, I, I was a baby and I, I barely escaped the womb. I'm a big headed baby. How in the world can that all happen again? My mom is going to be really torqued off. She's going to be really upset. So, you would have thought those same kind of things. That's why Nicodemus came back and he said, that's impossible, isn't it? Yeah, it is impossible. That's why Jesus gave the example, if you want to enter the kingdom of heaven, you have to be born again because you can't do it. If Jesus would have said something like, you got to climb to the highest, highest mountain, the peak, the pinnacle of the highest mountain on earth to be born again, guess what? Man would have done it. We would figure it out. Right now, today, if that's what it meant to be born again and to enter the kingdom of heaven, there would be elevators, escalators, 
going to the highest point of, of any mountain and people will be standing at the bottom selling tickets for you to get there just so that you could be born again, so you could enter the kingdom of heaven. That's what we would have done and you know it. If Jesus would have told him, you got to go to the bottom of the deepest ocean, man would have figured it out. And right now there would be all these submarines in all these different places and you would pay money and fly to this island, hop on this submarine, you would go to the deepest spot and then you would say, okay, now I'm going to enter the kingdom of heaven. Or, you know, if Jesus would have said something like, you got to orbit the moon, we would be doing it today so people could be born into the kingdom of heaven because we've already done it. If Jesus would have said, build a flat screen and watch my teaching on a PowerPoint, we would have done it a long time ago, way before these things came out. But it's impossible for you to be born again. That's one of the best examples Jesus could have used to drive home his point that you can't do this on your own. You can't conquer it all by yourself. So to be born again, to be made anew, um, a spiritual foundation must be built inside of you. You gotta have a spiritual foundation that gets built inside of you. And, and you know what? Uh, it, it must be something that's new. It's gotta start all over again. It's gotta be something that takes you back to this humbled state where you're not in control, where you don't know anything. Isn't that a challenging thing for you as a human? To put yourself back into basically the spiritual shoes of a baby where you don't know anything and you have to start from scratch? Isn't that a humbling thing? Yes, it is. Isn't it humbling at 30, 40, 50, 60 years old or even at 22 years old to admit, I don't know anything about this spiritual journey? Where do I start? Like a baby who can't defend himself or a baby who can't feed herself. Isn't it humbling to do that? And that's exactly what Jesus meant when he said you got to be born again. you got to go back and start from scratch. you got to go back to the point where you don't even know hardly how to feed yourself. Where you don't even know, you know, the questions to ask. You don't even know where to go. But all you can say is that I need God and I don't know where to start. That's humbling. That's why Jesus brought us back to that stage. Why he said be born again, because that puts us in the right frame of mind for God to build the kind of foundation spiritually that he wants in our life. And no one starts their spiritual journey, by the way, knowing everything. So if you're here today and you're wrestling with, you know, I'm wrestling with putting Christ first in my life. And feeling like an idiot, because all these people seem to know things. I hear so many times people going, I don't want to go to a life group, Jeff. Well, why don't you want to go to a life group? Well, because I'm going to sit in a room where a bunch of people, they know the Bible, and I'm going to be the only one that doesn't know it. I go, know this. You're going to go to a room where hardly anybody knows the Bible. I don't care who's there. There's a lot of the Bible. You're going to go there, and you're going to fit right in. And if any of our life groups make you feel like an idiot, come back and talk to me, and I'll be the last day that that life group meets. Because that's not how we're going to treat people. We're going to make sure that our life groups are places that are safe places for people to go to ask biblical questions where they can get the answers they need. That's the same thing with our pastoral staff, by the way. That's the same atmosphere that I'm trying to create spiritually in our church. Come as you are, just the way you are, and we love you too much to leave you that way. That we want to keep challenging you and taking you on this journey with God. But you're going to have to come to a point where you say, I need to be born again. Or I need to be regenerated. I need to come back to that place where I can't do this and I need God. So that's something that's huge. That's right there sitting in front of us. Something that you can't do on your own. You can't accomplish this thing all by yourself. That's why 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 19 through 20 says this. It says, don't you realize that 
Um, that our, what? That our body, I don't know why that says odd, alright? Don't you, don't you realize that our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you? I don't know why this scripture is all messed up, guys. I apologize. Given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself. For God bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. It's a good thing I know what that scripture says. I'm going to tell you right now, that could throw you off. That's hard teaching. What's he saying there? He said, listen, you don't belong to yourself. That's what it means to lay your life down and be born again. You don't belong to yourself. You were bought with a price. It was the price of Jesus Christ. It was the price that comes with life. He giving his life on the cross so that you don't belong to yourself. Humble your life and lay it down and realize you're just a baby. You're just nothing without Jesus. You're just laying there empty, with formless, without any concepts of any kind of heavenly sense about you. You are dead. This life is it. That's all you're going to live unless you lay your life down and you say, I need to be born again. And it's only then that you begin to experience true life. No one, there's no, there's none of this like half-born spiritual stuff. There's none of this undercooked spiritual stuff or half-baked or medium-rare. You either are born again or you're not. You don't ease your way into being born again. You don't just get a bite off little pieces here and there. It's you're all in or it's nothing. You're all in or nothing. Jesus said, without being born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. Without being born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. First, that, first what he means is that you can't see who God really is. Without being born again, you can't see the kingdom. You can't see who God really is. That's why Nicodemus came and he said, I know that you, I know that you, you, you come from some, you come from somewhere else and that you teach things that are beyond us. And Jesus stops him right there and goes, hold on, Nicodemus. You think you see something, but you don't see anything. You're just, you're regurgitating the rumors that you've heard, Nicodemus. You know mentally about something, but you don't see spiritually anything. And unless, Nicodemus, you're born again, that's when you'll really start to see the kingdom of God. Meaning, I, Jesus, standing in front of you, Nicodemus, I am the kingdom of God. You really want to see me? You really want to know who I am? And you've got to be born again. You've got to lay your life down. And let me start all over again if you really want to see me. And that's what Jesus still says to you. He goes, there's exciting stuff on the other side of being born again. It's like the movie I watched a number of years ago. That, you know, that whole um, Narnia uh, thing. Right? Whatever that was called. What was that called? Anybody know? Chronicles of Narnia. Thank you. So I watched that, right? And the little kids, they go into that, that kind of like closet or that chest Remember that? And they go digging through the closet, and then on the other side, they enter out into Narnia. Thank you. It's like that. It's like on the other side of this life that you're living right now, if you choose to really want to or are hungry to see Jesus, and you choose to say, I need to be born again, guess what? It's like walking through that closet, and a whole new world opens up. And what you thought you saw about God 
you have no idea what you're going to see because he's going to blow your mind away. So my question is, are you born again? You go, well, I gave my life to Jesus. Good. Did you start to see Jesus in a new way? Was your life, has your life been transformed? Are you, are you continuing to see Jesus in a new way? Where are you at in your spiritual journey? Is God's word continuing to come alive? Is spiritual, uh, a spiritual revolution continuing to happen in your heart? Because that's what it means to be born again. To keep seeing Jesus over and over re- regenerated. Just like your skin regenerates, so your spirit continues to regenerate. And you keep growing in your knowledge and your, and your understanding of God. And you keep growing in your hunger. And you keep growing in your passion after Jesus. And it never stops. And it just keeps perpetuating and building on top of itself. It never stops. Because the more you see of Jesus, the more you begin to understand how little you know. The older you are on this planet, the longer you've lived on this planet, the less of this planet you really know. It's like the older we get, the more we understand how little we really know. And in our spiritual journey, the longer you are with Christ, it also should be overwhelming you with the understanding of how little you really know, which causes you to hunger all the more. That's why he came to him and he said, Nicodemus, You'll never see the kingdom of heaven unless you're born again. But he also went on. That started part of that spiritual revolution, but that's not where it ended. Jesus said to him in verse 5, I assure you that no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of two things, water and spirit. What did the world did Jesus mean by being born of water and of spirit? Well, to understand that better, maybe let's look at another, another passage of Scripture, Titus 3, verses 4 through 6. Here's what it has to say. It says that when God, our Savior, revealed His kindness and love, He saved us, not because of the righteous things that He had done, but because of His mercy. He, look, what He did. He washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. And look what he does in, does in verse 6. He generously poured out the Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ, our Savior. And we're going to leave that scripture up just for a moment. Jesus said, if you want to see the kingdom of God, you've got to be born of both water and of Spirit. So to enter the kingdom of God, you've got to be born of first water. What does the word water really symbolize here? At first it symbolizes faith in Jesus. Jesus is the statement of the water that's coming here. Jesus is the one representing the water. You have to first put your faith in me. There is no way that you can get to the Father or get to heaven except through me. That's what Jesus said to him. What what else does Jesus um, model for us? When Jesus starts his ministry, Jesus gets baptized in what? Water. What does it mean today? What is baptism? Baptism in water, we still practice that today. It's an outward statement of an inward transformation that's taking place inside of you. That's why we, that's why we promote water baptism. And that's why I want to say to you, it'd be good for you to take that step and be water baptized. But it's not the water that's in a tank that saves you. It's the water of Jesus in your spirit that saves you. 
And the water on the outside is just a picture of what Jesus is doing as this scripture says that he's washing you away. He's washed your sins away, giving you new birth, giving you a new life, making you new from above because Jesus is washing your sins away. That's part of what it means to be born again. Now, if you're not baptized in water, you need to consider that the next one we're going to do is July 6th in Harmon Park. It's going to be awesome. On July 6th, we're all going to rally there. It's going to be one of our New Life United events. We're taking over the park. Um, we're going to have a big picnic there. We're going to do some water baptisms. Um, you know, the pool's going to be available for you to use as well. It's going to be a fun, fun day on July 6th. Don't miss it. If you want to be baptized in water and you haven't been, take your response card that's in front of you and just simply fill that out and just mark on there, I'm interested in water baptism, and someone will get with you. So Jesus washes away our sins. Jesus is the water. You have to be, you have to be basically born of Christ. But then he also says to enter the kingdom of God, you must be born of the Spirit. And this is pretty simple. This is God's Spirit living within you. It's the Holy Spirit of God living within you that when we put our faith in God through Christ, He sends the power of His Holy Spirit to live in you. Guess what? It's that Spirit of God that lives in you that lives forever. Your body is going to disappear. Your old flesh that that needs regeneration is going to disappear. But your spirit that's been regenerated by God's Spirit is going to live forever. And God's Spirit isn't something that He wants to give to you sparingly, by the way. What does it say in verse 6? What did it say in verse 6? It said that God wanted to do what with you? He wanted to give it to you generously. Generously. Wow. When was the last time you gave something away generously? Do you remember it? Just think about that moment. Think about how you felt giving something away generously. Think about the joy it brought you. Think about how you were like, whoo, man, that's awesome. You know, my whole garage is clean now. I gave it all away. Or you gave generously financially to, you know, to, you know, help or promote something or to bless someone. Or you gave generously, you know, in a, and some of you gave generously when, when you helped build the building. And some of you still continue to give generously as you pay off what it is that you sense God in your heart said to give. Some of you, you know, you feel like you give generously in tithe. And how, how you just are excited about, God, use this to advance your kingdom. Something happens inside of you when you give generously. I'm telling you, God's Spirit is being given to those who will continue to seek Him, who basically will come to Him and be born again over and over and over again, going, I'm hungering for you. I want to be born from above today, God. I want to be born anew today. And God's Spirit is going, I'm pouring my Spirit out upon you generously. And He never stops. He's hungry to do that. So to be born again is to let Jesus make you clean from sin and allow the Holy Spirit to direct you away from sin to let jesus the water wash you clean to cleanse you of your sin and to let the holy spirit direct you away from sin so i ask you how many how many people need to be born again the answer to that is all of us i was born again once good Are you allowing that regeneration of the concept of of being born again to continue to happen in your life, though? Or was it just a moment for you? Was it just a moment in the dark, 
in the comfort of your own self, where you met with Jesus on your own terms, was that all that it was? Or is it something where you're continuing to be regenerated by Christ over and over, being made new over and over and over again? Him taking the old and making you new again. Well, during this teaching series, there's a revolutionary call that's going out. We're letting God's word and we're letting Christ be the ultimate revolutionary and God's word be our revolution paperwork that we're, that we're seeking after a new freedom. The freedom is a freedom from this world, a freedom from the bondage that this world has brought to our lives and a freedom of what it means to live with Christ. A freedom from our old ideas of what a relationship with God looks like to the new ideas of what it means to be free with Jesus. Being free from our old sin so that Christ is made new inside of us. Being free from just our own soulish desires and being freed by the Holy Spirit living inside of us. And so I say to you today, who wants to go on a spiritual revolution with me? Who wants to go on a spiritual revolution where God's word and the words in red start penetrating our hearts and where hard teachings, you know, with revealed truth and applied by you turn into a spiritual revolution? That's the question to you today. And so what I want to invite you to do is something very bold. Because revolutions aren't quiet. They don't happen in the basements. They don't happen in the dark of night. Revolutions happen when the sun is up and when people march the streets and they say, we demand a freedom. And there's a hunger inside of them that comes to the point where they're like, I don't care what anybody else thinks and I don't care what the price is. I'm going after this revolution. I'm going after Christ. I'm going after freedom with him. It doesn't matter what anybody else says or thinks. That's what the Holy Spirit brought us to today. And so what I want to invite you to do is join the revolution. Join the revolution. Join the revolution and let your life be transformed. I'm going to ask you to do that by coming out of the dark like Nicodemus was allowed to do and come into the light like Nicodemus did at the end of his life. You can come into the light today by making one simple statement with your life, by standing with me and joining me down at this altar for a time of worship in a time of surrendering our lives to Christ, the greatest revolutionary, and letting him transform us into his likeness. So I ask you today, who wants to join a spiritual revolution and let your life be transformed? And just come in an attitude of prayer and just start, just start praying. Just come with an attitude of prayer and just start seeking the greatest revolutionary that ever walked the face of the earth. Just come with that kind of an attitude. Father, we come before you right now. Lord, we seek you. We seek the truth of your word. Lord, we want to be born again. Some of us for the very first time. Lord, we know we need, to take that, we need to take that leap of faith and we need to put our life into your hands and it starts the spiritual revolution, but it, it can't end there. It can't just be one moment. It can't just be one thing that we do. It has to be a lifestyle of just hunting after you, seeking after you, hungering for you, Jesus. And so today, God, we come and we recognize that, Lord, we're dead and we're dying and we're decaying spiritually unless you're regenerating us, creating anew in us, unless you're spiritually making us new. Lord, for some of us in this room, we need to be made new in our passion for you. We need to be made new in our lifestyle for you. We need to be made new in our hunger for you. We need to be made new in the way we love others. 
We need to be made new in our freedom to pursue you. We need to be made new in our generosity to you. Lord, we need to be made new in our priorities before you. Lord, there's all types of areas and ways that we need to be made new, regenerated, born again in your spirit. So Lord, we invite you to come. Speak to those that have come to the front. God, I ask you to speak to those that are still in their seats today. That for whatever reason, whether they have, you know, whether they just can't come for health reasons or they got children here or whatever, Lord, it's not, we're not judging anybody where they stand in this auditorium. Lord, you're looking at our hearts. You're looking at our hearts today. So it's not about where we stand in here. You look at the heart. We could be standing up here in the front and not even mean it. Making a facade for man. God, you look right through those things. Lord, we ask you, just like you looked right through Nicodemus' heart, you would look right through our hearts, and you would stir something in us that would revolutionize us, transform us into your image and into your likeness. So as we worship you over this period of time, and as long as we sense that we're supposed to stay at this altar, Lord, may you continue to do something in our lives, do something in the hearts of the hungry. In Jesus' name, amen.